channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on location in the closing hours of Star Trek Las Vegas 2019 on August the 4th and is current through the end of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows at some point in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone, and my guest this week is a frequent co-host of Weekly Trek, the original series, Jamie McGregor. Jamie, welcome to Weekly Trek. Thanks, Alex. Great to be here. And uh, what a week it has been in Las Vegas. Fantastic to, to be here, see all the announcements, all of that merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. Most of it is in the vendor's room still, and the rest of it is, is in people's bags headed back overseas, I imagine, at the moment. Yes, I still have to pack. There is a lot of things to find room for. Uh, and we are recording this uh, just an hour after the main stage closed at STLV on Sunday afternoon. So it is all fresh in our memory. But Jamie, I want to know what's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? What doesn't have me moving at Warp 10? Oh. Uh, the entire nerdgasm of five days of uh, bits and pieces about Star Trek, left, right and center... Uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it to a couple of things that I'm really excited about. One, which is only tangentially related to Star Trek, uh, and that is, the, the, the first is I was delighted uh, as someone who was introduced to uh, jazz and uh, a, a new form of the American songbook music uh, by Vic Fontaine in DS9. I was delighted to see James Darren had a new CD at his, his table, got an autographed copy of that. It's uh, his first ever live CD. Um, and for me, that's got me moving at Warp 10 because I have to go at Warp 10 back to Australia to rip it, to listen to it, because it's now 2019 and I have no CD player anywhere near me, so I'm desperate to listen to it and see uh, what, a, what a great album it was. Uh, and it was great to see Jimmy at the convention. Uh, a razor-sharp wit for anyone that was here at STLV. They would have seen him on a couple of different panels, uh, uh, cracking-wise, which was, which was great. Beyond that... Uh, i got to say, I, I thought I was coming to STLV at Warp 10 excited for Picard, and I'm leaving excited for Lower Decks. Uh, I was just blown away by the enthusiasm, uh, the sincerity uh, of the guys who, uh, the writing crew were on stage. There was a panel here for Lower Decks. That's got me moving at Warp 10. The notion that there will be a respectful uh, but funny piece of the Star Trek uh, canon is, is really exciting. I'm sure we're going to be talking more about Lower Decks, but that's got me moving to Warp 10 at the moment. Yeah, we have had an incredible five days. I mean, I kind of figured going into the convention that there wasn't going to be a huge amount of big news, certainly nothing on the same level as what we got at San Diego Comic-Con a couple of weeks ago, and that was more or less borne out. We got a number of new product announcements, but really for the shows, just a lot of teasings, a lot of very small details, and we'll talk about those. Um, but, you know, regardless of not having gotten a huge amount of big news, those panels for Star Trek Picard, for Lower Decks, were really, really fabulous. I mean, you know, you, can't, you couldn't have listened to the enthusiasm of Jonathan Frakes and Jerry Ryan and Jonathan Del Arco on the Star Trek Picard panel of Brent Spiner earlier in the week and then earlier today, the Lower Decks writer's room led by Mike McMahon and not feel really excited about these shows and what they have coming up. I mean, SCLV is always an incredible opportunity to get together with fellow fans and, and celebrate this, this franchise. And, you know, it was no less great this year. And, and you know, I'm walking away from it more fired up than ever before about this golden age of Star Trek that we're in. I'm not sure we'll ever get an announcement quite on the level as Sir Patrick Stewart returning to Star Trek that we got last year at STLV. But uh, having said that, you know, it, coming together and getting the opportunity to share this time with friends is 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 really, really fabulous. So, you know, I am exhausted. You might be able to hear it in my voice. You might be able to hear it in Jamie's voice. Um, but... 
because uh, we've not got a lot of sleep over the last five days and there has been lots of running around. If you come to the Rio, you certainly get a workout with all the walking, but it has been a fabulous, fabulous couple of days and there is plenty to talk about. So let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on and I'm a reporter. We'll start off with the Picard panel in which we didn't learn a huge amount about the show, but it was really interesting to hear Jonathan Frakes, Jerry Ryan, Jonathan Del Arco talk about a bit about their experiences on the show. We also had a separate panel with Brent Spiner a little earlier in the week in which he also talked a little bit about it. I think the panel was sort of encapsulated by Jonathan Frakes' T-shirt that he chose specifically for the panel. He had not been wearing it earlier in the day. He comes on stage, he opens up his jacket, he's wearing a shirt that says, don't ask me, I signed an NDA. Uh, and there were a lot of kind of incidents throughout the panel in which the actors were clearly straining to come up with answers to questions that didn't give anything away. Yeah, the t-shirt didn't stop anyone from asking those questions. Exactly, right? yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, we got a couple of, of little tidbits of information. Uh, Doug Aronofsky, who directed The Sound of Thunder and uh, Through the Valley of Shadows for Star Trek Discovery Season 2, uh, is directing Star Trek Picard. Uh, we're assuming that means that he's directing Episodes 7 and 8, which are the current... Um, block of episodes that we know are filming at the moment. Frake says that he's filmed one scene with Sir Patrick Stewart, which we knew coming out of San Diego Comic-Con that they were going to film a scene in between San Diego Comic-Con and today, but indicates that the bulk of his filming uh, with Sir Patrick Stewart will be next week. Um, Apparently Jonathan Frake's episodes are the ones that introduce Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine, so she will not be appearing in the premiere, episodes one and two because Frakes directed episodes three and four. Jerry was talking about how you know, we got a sense of this in the trailer that you know Seven of Nine as a character has evolved significantly over the last two decades. And Jerry was talking about how it was really difficult for her to return to the character in terms of finding the voice of this Seven of Nine who's now two decades removed from the Seven that we last saw in Endgame. And it's clear from the trailer that this Seven has taken on a bit more of a human demeanor and Jerry was talking about how um, she felt like that had been an intentional choice for the character, that things that had happened in the intervening two decades had led Seven to make a decision to move away from that more sort of stilted staccato dialogue towards sounding as human as possible. Um, The other interesting thing, you know, it was funny in places was they were talking about how high the security had been at uh, on the Star Trek Picard set Jerry Ryan has to walk around wearing a big cloak Uh, well she had to walk around uh, the set wearing a big cloak before the San Diego Comic Con reveal so no one snapped a picture that showed her and her makeup including when they were filming on location she dropped the fact that they had done some filming on the Universal City uh, studio lot um, and didn't explain what the uh, what the scenes were, but that uh, you know they she'd had to wear this huge cloak when she was uh, being taken around the lot, in which you have tourists you know being shuttled by uh, on their little buses, uh, and that luckily nobody had spotted her. And also Jonathan Del Arco talking about how he's not allowed out of the tra- as trailer except to go to set once he's in the Borg makeup, and that holds true still today because we've not they've not revealed the new Borg makeup um, and they don't they don't want to do that. The last little kind of piece of information we got, Brent Spiner at his panel earlier in the week talked about how he's not a main character in Star Trek Picard, but he does make appearances throughout the show. Presumably that means he'll be in multiple episodes, but not every episode. And that I think as we kind of were able to glean from the trailer, given that it's, you know, sort of the first thing that Picard talks about in that trailer, that Data's death is a, is a plot point in the, in the story of this show. But Jamie, there were a lot of teases. There weren't a lot of facts, but you know, what was your reaction to this Picard panel? My immediate thought was, yes, there's a little bit of frustration about not finding out more details, but at the end of the day, you don't want more details. You want to watch the show and, uh, and be surprised by some things. Um, I, did, I found it interesting how much it seemed, based on the discussion that was there, 
how much of a role the Borg is actually going to play in this because all of the lead-in until we found out about, really until we found out about Jerry Ryan and, and Jonathan DeLarco coming back, was about the Romulans and you know how the the destruction of Romulus and the the heavy um, heavy effect on of that on Picard, and so to actually get the sense that there is quite a significant role here for the Borg, and there does seem to be a sense that the Borg um, uh, makeup will change because the Borg seem changed in some way, uh, which I think is going to be uh, fascinating to see how that. Um, how that goes on and, and how that is, is realised in, in the show. And, and the sense from Jonathan Delaco was that he had spent quite a considerable time filming with uh, Patrick Stewart. So I think he's going to have a not inconsiderable role. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a total cameo like perhaps uh, Brent Spiner's will be. Uh, the only other thing I did notice was he was talking about, uh, uh, Delaco was talking about researching a particular historical event whether that's an allusion to a, a tragedy that would be similar to the destruction of Romulus, I don't know whether they tie in or whether or not there's going to be something else to that in in, uh, in Picard. But overall, you could tell how enthused they were. Um, Jonathan was talking about, uh, a, a, I think it was a drone shot of just him and, and Patrick Stewart uh, at, the, at the end of a day's filming or at the end of that particular setup. Uh, and he just said what a, what a fantastic, uh, surreal and delightful experience it was for him to work again with uh, Sir Patrick. So uh, I think the enthusiasm and love that Jonathan has for what he's doing is going to come straight through the television screen or whatever device you have watching CBS All Access or, uh, or Amazon uh, around, around the world. So it, w- it was fantastic. And it's clear how excited... Jonathan, Brent, Jerry, and Jonathan number two were Jonathan about. And Johnny. Yeah, jo- that's right. Jonathan and Johnny, that's what it was from the panel, uh, were about, are about appearing on this show. There was, you know, as I say, they were doing nothing more than sort of teasing this show for us, but they did, you know, I got this sense from them that they were really excited about the fact that they were returning, certainly excited about the fact that they could all now at least publicly acknowledge that they were involved in a new Star Trek production. But, you know, super, super exciting. And if they're having a good time, uh, I think that means that that's going to translate through onto the screen as well. A lot of positivity about the writing, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they seemed absolutely delighted by whatever the the, um, the content is, the scripts they're getting, the work that uh, Michael Chabon and the, and the others have, have been doing. There was a lot of positive chat from them about that, which is a relief and, and great to hear. And not always something that actors, you know, need to kind of, you know, be super positive about. You can certainly see if you're on the production side of things, that being something that you would particularly want to highlight as good, whether it is or not. But as an actor, you know, that's one of those things that if you're choosing to go out of your way to compliment that, it's normally a good sign that it actually is, uh, it is pretty good. So, Star Trek Picard, I'm sure we will, you know, that's the next one coming up. Continue to believe we'll learn a bit more about it. But it seems like at this point, CBS might be going into a bit more kind of lockdown mode on additional details after San Diego Comic-Con. That might be kind of the last big swath of information we get. I'm anticipating we'll probably get a bit more at New York Comic-Con, which will be in October. And obviously, you know, quite a bit closer to an early 2020 premiere again but uh, that was all we learned from Star Trek Las Vegas Um, but uh, that was not the only show being discussed and there was a room full of disappointed Trekkies that uh, 25 you know staff and creatives didn't all descend on the stage Uh, but I I think anyone with with a brain probably uh, knew that last year's surprise wasn't going to be able to be topped and and if they had tried to do so it probably wouldn't have been a great idea anyway it would have set them up for what were they going to do in future years so i think we should be happy with what we've got and uh, and look forward to the, the beginning of next year and also i think you know to this to, to that point you know what would they have said you know i i was looking back over the san diego comic-con panel And it's really interesting, you know, they had that whole cast up there, but almost all of the news that came out of that panel came out of the trailer. It did not come out of the panel itself. In terms of what the actors themselves talked about as it related to the show, they were still very, very tight-lipped. So without another trailer to show, you get all those actors back up on stage, you're not learning anymore. It's better that they remain 
in California shooting the show so that we're on track to actually see the thing in early 2020 100%. rather than trucking them all out at this point. What will be really interesting will be getting them to come next year so that they can talk about what season one was like and we can get really into the details of it. So I think, you know, a Sir Patrick Stewart appearance for STLV was pretty unlikely this year, but hopefully next year, once he has a season under his belt that he can publicly talk about, you know, we'll get a lot more uh, publicly from Sir Patrick. Lower Decks also had a big panel at Star Trek Las Vegas. Again, they didn't bring anything particularly new about the show, uh, but we did get some some interesting uh, kind of bits of information. Uh, Mike McMahon, the creator and head writer for the series, was joined by several of the writing staff on stage. Um, in terms of what we learned about the show, they showed us the same art that uh, has been publicly released and was shown at San Diego Comic-Con. Mike talked at length about how the show is part of the Star Trek canon. There'd been some questions, particularly given the sometimes questionable status of the first Star Trek animated series, about whether it's in canon, whether that would be true for Lower Decks as well. Mike's philosophy on it is there's no point doing a Star Trek show if it's not in canon, and that got a round of applause from the audience and is exciting to hear. Uh, he was asked in the Q&A session whether Lower Decks had plans for any other... Uh, for any of the alumni of Star Trek shows to appear uh, on Star Trek Lower Decks. And while they did not confirm that that was the case and there were no announcements made about, you know, since this show is set right after Voyager, you have the Next Generation cast, Deep Space Nine cast, Voyager cast, all of whose characters are, you know, active around the same time. While we didn't get any announcements... I would characterize Mike's response to the question as being very enthusiastic about the idea of having uh, actors from the previous shows make voice appearances on Lower Decks. He said, you know, we would get everybody if we could. Um, uh, and and that certainly seems like something they're very interested in doing. So, you know, while they didn't kind of tell us anybody who would be, my kind of belief that that's going to happen, uh, my confidence in it has increased significantly. The uniforms, which we got to look at uh, at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, turns out are actually based on the rejected Star Trek Generations concepts for which only a few prototypes were made. There was sort of a, a mashup between the Next Generation uniform and the maroon uh, monster maroon uniform from the original series movies uh, and the lower decks uniform is sort of a twist on that uh, if you you can find a couple of uh, pictures on the internet of those prototype costumes the main change is that they have the f the same sort of front flap that the uh, uh, that the monster maroon has. So super cool that those that those uniforms have uh, their own kind of Star Trek production lineage. Uh, the other thing that Mike talked about was how um, you know what the sort of mission of this California class USS Cerritos is, and uh, what he talked about was. Uh, the ship's kind of main role being what he described as second contact, which is this is the ship that go after our sort of hero ships like the Enterprise D, like the original series Enterprise, have made first contact with an alien culture. The Cerritos is the kind of ship that is next up. That's the one that comes in and kind of follows up on that first contact and, you know, starts to kind of establish those relationships. I, I think one of the other things that really came through for me in the panel was the way that Mike was talking about how this was not a show that was punching down on Star Trek, that it was not making fun of Star Trek. It was taking Star Trek very seriously, but it was kind of coming at it from the perspective of, you know, being a humorous show and and telling the same kind of Star Trek stories that we, you know, have come to expect, but doing it in, in a humorous fashion. Uh, Jamie, you said this was something that you were feeling you know, really excited about. I thought the chemistry between the writers was was really palpable, um, yeah. but, you know, how how, how you feeling yeah i i think that was palpable and the what was interesting to see was the mix of, of who they had on stage some that were clear clearly very clear trek fans and others that were either new to star trek uh and had recently embraced it or were, were getting to understand the show and it was interesting how they all played off each other and you could see that their love for the material that, that they're building um 
it was clear, as you say, that this this approach not to punch down, I think that's what was really important for me because what it made clear was that this wasn't going to be a show that was going to make fun of Star Trek. It wasn't going to be, you know, the and, and in particular, he made the point that these characters are not incompetent. They're in Starfleet, therefore they are competent in their own, in you know, and they are extremely competent, but they have their own quirks. And that's where the humour is going to come from. And look, Trek has a great history of, of humour in the show. Um, you know, I think uh, Jordan Hoffman, the moderator, made a made a comment at one at one point about you know like the second very second line of of uh, where no man has gone before has a joke in it, uh, and you know there were bits of TNG that were riotously funny. I think you put a tweet out listening to everyone watching the very first session from STLV on Wednesday was about the House of Quark and. Uh, I was there watching it, laughing at that at, at that show. Uh, not to mention, you know, you've had full-on comedies like uh, some of the Ferengi shows, some of which <clears throat> possibly weren't that funny. Uh, <laughs> down to you know, Voyager's Message in a Bottle. If that's not a you know, forty-five minute comedy, I don't know what is in Star Trek. And so I, I think this is going to fill a, a beautiful little niche. Uh, and and the bits and pieces that I was worried about it, I'm much less worried about it now, having seen uh, the approach that the writers have have, have taken. Uh, other tidbits might be that I think they've announced the the, the this California class of, of ship seems to be the kind of the uh, the workhorse of the of the Trek fleet, and we've never seen them before because they're always in the background doing all of the dirty work. Uh, and I think there was going to be a, a Fresno and a Sacramento and, and, and presumably more um, more California locations. I think it's going to be a battle between them and the uh, the creators of the latest uh, Mac OS to see which areas of California <laughs> they can they can all uh, rip off each other. Uh, so look, a lot to be really excited about. They they didn't do anything more really than run through the characters uh, which they had done in San Diego, uh, but it was the overall broad brush of the attitude of the show that uh, that left me excited. Well, let's shift from. From shows to products, because we did get a number of exciting product announcements out of STLV. The first being the only announcement we had on Star Trek Discovery, which is that the Season 2 DVD and Blu-ray set is on the way before the end of this year. We are anticipating a November 12th release, so make sure you update your letters to Santa Claus asking for the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 Blu-ray, which will include all of the same kinds of special features that we got on the Season 1 set, but also will include a number of audio commentaries, which is exciting. We didn't get any of those for Season 1. There'll be four audio commentaries uh, the set was announced during Anson Mount's panel, and so he indicated that he features on two of the commentaries, one with uh, Jonathan Frakes and one with Ethan Peck. Uh, so two more audio commentaries uh, yet to be announced. The other interesting thing about this set is that it will feature two of the short treks, Runaway and The Brightest Star, which are the Tilly and Saru short treks that tie into the events of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. What about the other short treks you might be asking? Answer, we don't know yet. Um, there have been, uh, I know Trek Corps has reached out to CBS to clarify whether uh, Calypso and The Escape Artist, the other two short treks that led off for Star Trek Discovery Season 2 will also be included on this set. My guess is if they're not included on the set, it probably means that with six more short treks also coming, I would anticipate CBS uh, will probably do a separate short treks release at some point in the future. Um, but we're in the process of trying to figure that out. They definitely, in the commercial for the for the release, indicated that Runaway and the Bright Star would definitely be there. Unclear if the other two uh, would be there as well. But this is exciting. I know that there are lots of folks who are huge fans of the behind-the-scenes content for uh, the Star Trek shows, and many of whom were a little disappointed that there were no commentaries on the Season 1 uh, Blu-ray. I know that our loyal listener, Linda, reached out to me a couple of times uh, to talk about how she wished there was more behind-the-scenes content and particularly commentaries. Well, Linda, CBS have heard you, and we do have a few commentaries for the Season 2 release. So that's very exciting. Jamie, is this one you will be picking up? Two hours of behind-the-scenes footage, uh, and that we got a little trailer that indicated there's a lot of behind-the-scenes footage of how they put the Enterprise bridge together, so that's going to be uh, attractive for a lot of folks, I'm sure. And what is good to, to hear is that they are listening, you know? Uh, 
and and uh, you know, I would imagine that there was uh, a specific call for commentaries after the first uh, DVD set, and the fact that they did it in the second one means, you know, big bad corporate organisation notwithstanding, they're obviously listening and delivering for the fans, so that's great. Absolutely. So we are looking forward to that. And as we learn more about those special features, uh, we will talk about them here on Weekly Trek. Uh, But moving from televised to published content for the Star Trek franchise... STLV for the last few years has been the place for uh, book announcements for the coming year, and that was no less true this year. We got a number of announcements of new novels in the Star Trek franchise. As those book fans know, uh, we are coming out of what was a very dry period for Star Trek novels. Last year, we had only a handful. This year, we've had a few more. Um, uh, But next year, it looks like we're getting back to close to a monthly schedule of new releases. So what did we learn uh, this week? Uh, We got a new cover for uh, the the upcoming Star Trek The Next Generation novel from David Mack, Collateral Damage. It's actually a really cool cover. It's pretty different from any cover we've seen before. Uh, Ed Schlesinger, the the Simon & Schuster editor, indicated that this kind of cover art is a new direction uh, that they're moving. Also goes back to the old TNG logo, uh, which is the first time we've seen that on a book in a number of years. Collateral Damage is due to kind of wrap up the, the sort of Section 31 control storyline, which actually goes all the way back to the early 2000s uh, when it was uh, kicked off. Uh, we have a, uh, a, in February, we have The Last Best Hope by Una McCormack. That is our Star Trek Picard tie-in novel. The first novel tying into Star Trek Picard. Uh, we don't know a huge amount about it other than that's the title. It's written by Una McCormack and it's coming in February. Unclear at this point whether that means that Picard itself will premiere in February or this book will come out slightly after the premiere. For Star Trek Discovery, the first book, Desperate Hours, was released uh, the same week as uh, the premiere date for the show. So maybe they'll do the same thing again. Maybe we'll still get Picard uh, in January. But that's very exciting. The other Picard tie-in announcement was that IDW will be doing a three-issue Star Trek Picard countdown series by Mike Johnson and uh, Kirsten Beyer. Uh, Kirsten Beyer being the supervising producer for Star Trek Picard. Mike and Kirsten have done uh, all of the Star Trek Discovery tie-in comics. uh, And they'll be doing this Star Trek Picard Picard uh, tie-in series as well. So those are the two Picard tie-ins that we know we have coming up on deck, but those aren't the only uh, announcements of books that we got. Uh, We have a pretty full schedule of 23rd century novels coming uh, next year, beginning in March with The Higher Frontier by Christopher L. Bennett. That will be uh, an original series novel, Agents of Influence by Dayton Ward that's coming in June. Um, And then we also, very excitingly, got the announcement of our first two Kelvin timeline novels. In April, we will have The Order of Peace by Alan Dean Foster, and in August, More Beautiful Than Death by David Mack. The really interesting thing about these two novels is, as far as we can tell, these are the novels that were originally slated to be published in, uh, I think it was 2010 or 2011, uh, but were cancelled at the last minute. Um, The books are uh, being uh, updated and refreshed and are finally about to see publication. Um, Two of the books, there had been four Kelvin Timeline novels announced uh, nearly a decade ago. Two of those novels were since recycled into Prime Timeline novels, so we probably won't see those. Uh, But these two books um, uh, will finally see the light of day, and it sounds like we'll kick off uh, Simon & Schuster's Kelvin Timeline uh, publishing schedule. Uh, We also were told to expect another Star Trek Discovery book from uh, John Jackson Miller. The Enterprise War was just published this past week, but it sounds like he's already working on one more. And also Kirsten Byers' long-awaited ninth Voyager novel, um, To Lose the Earth, is also expected to be released in 2020. That's a lot of books that almost gets us back to a monthly schedule. I would anticipate, since this only pushes out to August, that there will be more novels before the end of 2020, including potentially another Picard novel, since we only have one. Um, For fans of 24th century fiction, uh, it's not super 
super surprising that there aren't a lot of books on the schedule for next year. When Discovery came out in 2017, the books really focused on the 24th century so that and there were not any original series novels published so that the um, uh, the show had the opportunity to breathe a bit. If you're a fan of the novels, you know, what we've seen from the Star Trek Picard trailer is that it's likely that history has gone in a different direction than the novels have the story that the novels have told us. Um, we don't know that for sure, but it seems to be implied uh, from uh, what's in the trailer. Uh, and the first question at the book panel was, you know, what happens to the continuity that's been created in the novels? Um, Ed Schlesinger, the publisher, and then actually Dayton Ward uh, in a Facebook post that followed up from the panel did not go into huge detail about what the implications would be for the novel continuity, but did acknowledge that it was something that they were thinking very carefully about, that they took very, very seriously, and that uh, they were in the process of trying to come up with uh, a solution and a path forward for. It didn't sound like, you know, this was, they were just going to kind of drop it and move on, um, uh, that it's something that, you know, they feel very passionately about, that there are conversations taking place with CBS about what the path forward is. Um, so, you know, I think we're in good hands. They get it. They hear, you know, the fans and and the kind of love that there is for those stories that have been told over the last couple of decades now since the Deep Space Nine relaunch kicked off in 2001. Um, but, uh, you know, weren't prepared to say any more at this point about what the plans were. That's a lot of book announcements. Jamie, I know you're more of a comics guy, so tell me. Star Trek Picard countdown, pretty exciting. It, it is, um, and I, I mean, my impression about all of this is, uh, you guys have been saying it for quite a while on Weekly Trek, and and and, in, and we were saying the same thing in uh, Weekly Trek, the original series, uh, which was, isn't it great to live in a at a time when the you know this this new concept of the Star Trek universe exists in such a way that we have all possible fronts firing on all cylinders. You've got the comics, you've got the novels, you've got merchandise, you've got uh, television, you've got um, uh, the one thing we're, we're missing, of course, is the cinema screen, but uh, as that merger moves ever closer, who knows, maybe that'll change in the in the future as well. So, um, the, I mean, we've known that for quite some time that this is what was happening, but I think it's starting to become really real in terms of what was done for Discovery is now happening for Picard, and there was also a question in one of the panels, in one of the book panels, about will there be uh, an opportunity for kids-related uh, books and, and merchandise around Lower Decks, and, and the response was absolutely. So you know there'll be more announcements, I'm sure, of more tie-ins uh, for for all of this in in the future. So uh, if you are a fan of Star Trek in any way, um, look. Any one piece of the pie may not be your, uh, your, your cup of tea, but there'll be certainly uh, different opportunities for you to, to enjoy um, uh, what you already enjoy in, in other forms. And just as an example, a, a really obvious example of that, I, I don't think you may, may have mentioned it, but the, uh, they also announced the re-release of the novelization of the motion picture and an announcement of that in audiobook. So, you know, there's a whole range of different ways now that we can enjoy um, dive into, uh, consume, uh, you know, do what it is that Star Trek fans do to all of the, the, the Trek that is coming out now. And uh, if you're not excited by the Picard series, you know, what is wrong with you? Well, you for a start, you wouldn't be listening to this episode of Weekly Trek. Uh, but if you want to, of course, then you want to know what happened, right? Well, there's a place where you can now, and that's the comics or the novel or whatever it might be. So uh, the, the integrity of all of that uh, as one Star Trek universe with everyone working together Together and someone in the writer's room being working with the comics and, and, and with the novelizations, we, we couldn't be in a better place, could we? We absolutely couldn't. So that is Star Trek on the screen, Star Trek on the page. Now how about Star Trek in your wine glass? And in your stomach. And in your stomach. There's been an announcement this week that uh, there will be a line of Star Trek branded wines. Um, they'll be kicking off with two brands, uh, Chateau Picard, uh, which is actually comes from the Chateau Picard, which is in, in Bordeaux, France. There is actually a Chateau Picard. They're now on their fourth generation in business uh, that has been making wine. And CBS uh, and the Star Trek Wines uh, Company have um, struck up a deal with the actual Chateau Picard to release 
the fictional Chateau Picard, um, which is, uh, you saw the trailer uh, for Star Trek Picard that had bottles of wine in it. Um, This version of Chateau Picard has the same labels as appears in the show with a couple of small tweaks because if you know anything about wines you know that the French are very uh, there are lots of rules and requirements they're very particular about how they're uh, about how wine is presented so it is 95% uh, screen accurate um, uh, and hopefully will taste 95% screen accurate they're also releasing a special reserve United Federation of Planets Old Vine Zinfandel uh, which actually comes from a winery in uh, in California these are their initial two releases. They would like to release a lot more. They actually proved to be very popular. The wine was uh, initially announced on Monday. Uh, within 24 hours, uh, the the first initial set of, of wine had actually sold out. Uh, there was a collector's edition, uh, 1,701 uh, sets of uh, one of each of the bottles. Uh, those sold out in 23 hours, I'm told. Um, there will be more on the way. You, you will be able able to still order it um uh this was the 2016 vintage that uh they sold out of they're now preparing a 2017 vintage run and that'll be available in the next few months you can actually still get some bottles of the 2016 zinfandel are still available at startrekwines.com they will also have coming before the end of the year a a six bottle um collector's edition that will come in a wooden crate similar to the the wooden crate of chateau picard that you see in the show. So we know the Chateau Picard appears in the show. According to the wine guys, they also sent some of the Zinfandel bottles to set and it's it's possible that uh, those have been used on set and will also appear on screen. Um, so as I say, you know, more of those bottles were coming available in Q4 if you are a wine person and you missed out on the initial run, uh, but there will also be more products coming. The wine guys talked about how they were interested in also potentially doing Klingon blood wine, uh, which should be very interesting. It definitely sounds like A, these guys know their wine, B, they know their Star Trek. Uh, they had a, There was a conversation uh, in the panel that they did about how they've been sourcing um, the original bottles for Cardassian Canar, the twisty bottle that you see on Deep Space Nine. Um, so that's something that's possible coming up. This is something I'm personally super excited about. It's a great tie-in for Star Trek Picard, given that the early publicity has had such a focus on the Picard family winery. Uh, I snapped up uh, uh, three bottles of the Chateau Picard, uh, one to keep forever, one to drink on the premiere night and one for another special occasion and I think I'm probably going to get at least one bottle of the Zinfandel as well so I'm very excited about this Jamie I know that you might be about to move to the US currently unfortunately it looks like they're just shipping to the United States but as soon as you touch down are you hoping to have a bottle of Chateau Picard waiting for you? Yes I'll have to add myself to that uh, with no address yet I'll have to wait until uh, when I'm going to be able to to, uh, put in an order Uh, so I think I'll be waiting a while but yeah, they don't ship internationally. Um, obviously, that has to do with the rights to be able to provide alcohol in various places and whatnot, which is which is fine. Uh, devastating if you live, you know, not in the USA. But uh, maybe you know someone in the USA who can help you out and uh, and, and and get you uh, get your bottle of this. Um, it, it, the the other stuff, and I think you were at the same panel. They had a. Uh, also, at a similar panel, there was the representatives from the Silver Screen Bottling Company, who uh, have released, as yeah, you guys have already covered on the show, the um, the Ten Forward uh, vodka and the, the Montgomery Scotch uh, and the and the James T. Kirk uh, bourbon. And what was great to hear was there's more coming from them as well. I think they've got a Romulan ale, it's an absinthe. They've got a um, a Saurian brandy, which will be a brandy coming. So the the number of ways in which uh, this Star Trek, uh, you know. I imagine Alcoholics Anonymous is going to do quite well out of uh, out of this particular plan to make sure that if uh, if you like a drop, um, you're always going to be covered by some form of Star Trek product. Uh, and yes, as soon as I touch down and get an address, I will be going on StarTrekWines.com 
and putting my order in for uh, some Chateau Picard. So, you've watched Star Trek, you've read it, you've gotten drunk, now what's sitting on your shelf? It's Eagle Moss Starships. We had new announcements this week for the Eagle Moss Starships line. Uh, the main Starships collection has been extended officially from 160 to 180 issues, uh, which is not super surprising that it's been extended. They'd already begun soliciting issue 161, but exciting to hear confirmed that it's extended to 180. They also announced the next five ships, including uh, my personal two I'd been really looking forward to, the Karama ship from Deep Space Nine and also the SS Lacool from the opening scenes of Star Trek Generations. We have more specials on the way. The Vulcan warp sled from the motion picture and the sonar flagship will be coming as specials to the Star Trek Starships collection line. Uh, the Vulcan warp sled is one that's been requested for a long time by fans. The sonar flagship and the rest of the sonar ships are ones that have been particularly challenging for Eagle Moss given that the original digital files uh, are in a format that nobody can use anymore. Um, uh, and so uh, exciting that those are finally coming. Uh, you also have the XL line, the line of much larger larger starships that's been extended we currently have uh 15 editions have been solicited it's now been extended to 22 uh, and they gave us two more announcements the romulan warbird will be coming in xl edition and one that i'm particularly excited for and i know jamie will be particularly yes. excited for is deep space nine in xl edition so even bigger than the special that we got in the early days of the line yes. the deep space nine xl edition will also have a stand boom star trek discovery collection uh we got a a couple of additional uh, ship announcements, including the USS Hiawatha uh, from the season premiere of season two. Brother is on the way. Uh, and also the second Star Trek Discovery special. The first was the Klingon sarcophagus ship. The second will be the Charon. And like the Planet Killer, it will also have a light-up component to it as well. Lastly, if you're a fan of Star Trek Online, there was an announcement of a forthcoming Star Trek Online Starships collection of the original starships that Star Trek Online has created over the last few years. There were very few details about this collection, when it will be launching, what it will contain, but it is happening and it will be a separate line that you can subscribe to to get access to those Star Trek Online starships. So I guess the, the Enterprise F release from earlier this year was one uh, that was really successful. Jamie is a big Deep Space Nine nut. You've got the Deep Space Nine XL, yes. you've got the Karama ship. Yes. Um, uh, seems like a pretty good time to be a to be a starship collector it, it, and what a good thing that the you know on average the star trek viewer is more intelligent more educated more discerning uh and uh, presumably has larger amounts of both dispensable dispensable income uh and presumably extra rooms in their houses and places that they live uh, to put all of these models in uh because i i can imagine there are a large number of people that are running out of either space uh or imagination as to what to do with uh, a lot of these models, but uh, they keep coming out with more, and they're all phenomenal. And yes, of course, I'll be getting the uh, XL DS9. Um, and uh, look, if, you, if you're a collector for this, uh, could there be any better news than than again they are listening to what the fans want, providing uh, bits and pieces that that are missing, filling in the gaps, and uh, making sure that that every fan's uh, needs are catered for. Eagle Moss, probably one of the, the better, uh, absolutely one of the better franchise partners that Star Trek have, along with, uh, you know, fan sets and a, and a couple of others. They're, they're really good uh, partners, and uh, they usually provide phenomenal uh, um, merchandise, so I'm all for it, and my order for that uh, DS9 XL will be in as, uh, as, soon as, it, as soon as available. All right, we have talked about the facts, and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guests are going to give you a theory or a wish about something we would like to happen or think will happen in the future of Star Trek. So, Jamie, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. My theory slash wish is going to be about Discovery because it got a little bit of short shrift uh, from from all and sundry, even though there were plenty of Discovery panels because we had the whole bridge crew here and, and most of the cast at different times and, and places. My excitement is now for Discovery Season 3, which is currently under production. So it's, you know, it, while everyone's mind is on uh, Picard, uh, I'm also excited for 
the the freedom that the writers are going to have now that they don't have to squeeze their show into a particular time frame uh, with with stuff that they, in inverted commas, have to get done or they have to get the plot to a certain place so they have to re, you know, reverse engineer everything or however they manage to, to get to where they got to in seasons one and two. Plus, I'm also excited for a whole season of Discovery without the executive producers being fired, removed, changed, uh, on the fly... Um, there are a couple of comments, in it. I mean, everyone's very polite in these kind of things, but there are a couple of comments about scripts arriving the day before, you know, and I, I kind of feel that, that if, if they've really got their stuff together, um, this group of writers might be able to provide us with a, uh, a discovery crew and a show that is, is, is absolutely knocking it out of the park on a bunch of different fronts, but actually frees them up to tell a story that perhaps they want to tell. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's my, the- my theory or my wish is that, that those writers get that freedom to be able to provide something with a crew that we've now come to love that is going to be new, different, special, uh, its, own, its own thing. Yeah, Star Trek Discovery season one and two are very good. I mean, you've heard me talk at length about, you know, how much I enjoyed them. But the first two seasons have definitely been hobbled in places by, you know, what's pretty clearly been some behind the scenes drama. You know, Brian Fuller created the show and left before it premiered. Uh, Aaron Harbarts and Gretchen Berg took over for the first season and then were removed partway into the second season. Alex Kurtzman took over. He hired Michelle Paradise. And now we're moving into a season three in which the Kurtzman Paradise team, you know, seems to be working pretty well. They worked well together over the back half of season two. And the back half of season two was pretty good when it came from a quality perspective. So, I, you know, I think I'm really excited that things have settled down for the production and that you know hopefully that 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 tightness will will convey onto the screen as well and frankly also you know moving into the future give them the ability to um uh to kind of create the world that they want to kind of play in rather than you know this situation we've had with one and two where each of the subsequent showrunners was kind of left with whatever the last one had created. Absolutely, and and eventually in time we'll get the William Shatner run, you know, documentary uh, about the writing of the first two seasons of Discovery. You know? Yes, I look forward to listen to uh, watching Chaos in the Spore Chamber. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so my theory for this week is about Star Trek Picard. And actually spins off of something that Jonathan DeLarco was talking about in the Picard panel. He talked about how in returning to the character of Hugh, he was doing some research on a historical event that seems to mirror, you know, whatever this kind of big historical event has been in, in, in the intervening years between Nemesis and Picard. And there was one moment where Frake said something to Jonathan DeLarco about, you know, how he was kind of walking right up to the line of getting into spoiler territory. DeLarco didn't say what the historical event was. So I'm going to speculate on what that historical event was. And my speculation is that it's Operation Paperclip, which is after the Second World War, um, the Americans uh, kind of dragooned a bunch of ex-Nazi scientists into helping their nuclear and their space program and that many of the technological advancements we got over the 50s and the 60s were founded on, you know, a lot of that knowledge that was brought over by these scientists who used to work for Nazi Germany. Once the rockets come up, who cares where they come down? Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm wondering if the Borg aren't the Nazi allegories in this case, that there hasn't been some kind of we know the Borg have done a lot of really heinous things, but if they've done something extra, extra, extra heinous in the two decades between Nemesis and Picard, that would help explain why uh, Seven has made this intentional choice to be very human. She's trying to get away from that connection to the Borg. And potentially also Seven and Hugh are, you know, the equivalent of these Nazi scientists, right? They've had that connection to the Borg. Um, uh, they've lost that connection, but they're being used by the Federation to help uh, improve the Federation's technology, potentially because the Borg are still out there and are still a threat or something like that. So There's that little little screen grab that says there have been how long since an assimilation? 5,600 yeah, yeah, yeah. some days since so the last assimilation, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we know there's a Borg cube knocking around in Star Trek Picard that the Romulans have access to it. You know, what the kind of wider Borg role is, is as yet uncertain. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if 
if the historical event that Jonathan Del Arco was exploring was World War II, and particularly what happened after World War II, if there's been some kind of big interstellar conflict in the intervening years uh, in which feelings towards the Borg have turned even more negative, um, you know, that could be really interesting and, and, and could be a really interesting story to explore. So, I mean, what do you think of that, Jamie? I like it. I think it's good. And, uh, uh, Yes, my Tom Lehrer reference aside, I think, um, uh, yeah, I buy it. I, I Sold. If that's the pitch, if that's the pitch, get on the phone and say, look, maybe you've got it all wrong. Here's, here's what the show should be. Um, but yeah, no, he, he was talking about that historical event, looking into it. And uh, yeah, Frakes was very, very, uh, very guarded and told him to watch himself. So uh, that, that certainly fits the pieces of the puzzle. But uh, Alex, you've been wrong before. I've been uh, wrong many, many <laughs> times. So uh, remember my, I was so convinced that, uh, that the TOS Enterprise was not going to appear on Discovery. That's right, yes. Had that big theory about how it was going to be a future Enterprise. Yes. And uh, the very next episode... Uh, Captain Pike's <laughs> Enterprise shows up on screen. So yeah. it's entirely possible that I'll be wrong as soon as next week. Um, but hey, that's the way it goes on the speculation part of Weekly Track. I'm wrong much, much more than I'm right. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, or the future of the franchise that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek, and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this post-STLV episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Jamie McGregor, for joining me today. Jamie, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Uh, I can be found on Twitter uh, at uh, jmacref, J-M-A-C underscore R-E-F. And thanks, Alex, for uh, having me on. And... uh, not too long now, we can head down to the Rat Pack show to close out the convention in style uh, with those guys who are phenomenal. So uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, and uh, we'll see you on the next Weekly Trek. And you can find this show on Twitter, at Weekly Trek, and me, at Alexander C. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. They're, this is not the only uh, episode uh, of a Tricorder Transmission show that has been recorded live in Vegas. There is a Trek Ranks coming, for which Jamie was part of a live studio audience. Yes. Uh, that was quite a rip-roaring time, so uh, look forward to that in your Trek Ranks feeds coming in the next few weeks. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And we did. We had a wonderful dinner. Yeah. For, for all the Patreon supporters at a certain level or above. That's right. For our Latinum, our Dilithium, and our Omega Molecule patrons, uh, we did uh, take everybody out to dinner, and that was a lot of fun. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you'll turn to trekcore.com, who's who, I mean, I'm part of the Trekcore team, uh, but the rest of our team did an absolutely fabulous, fabulous job uh, this week, keeping everybody up to date. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. Prosper.